This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Levels A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> We're going to be shouting in here. We're not going to be peeking. We're not peeking the levels in here. Because we're all just like this and having a podcast right now. Wow. Holy shit. No Jumper. Hey. Coolest podcast in the world. And I'm in here with... Tazon Day. The one and only. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you in here, man. You're, you're like switching into like auctioneer mode real quick, I feel like. Oh, well, I'm excited to be here. Mm. You know, I, I was listening to some of the other episodes. You have a lot of range. Like you do authors, you do pop culture. You're just like everybody's in here. This is the place to be right here. That's what man. I keep saying. It'll be like the next Joe Rogan, next Oprah. Like See, <laughs> somebody has to carry on the Joe Rogan torch. There you go. At some point, he's gonna you know have just smoke too much weed, <laughs> and just, too much blunt trauma to his head. He's gonna have to he'll call me in to take over. No jumble will cease to go. exist. I will take over the Joe Rogan experience. That's a great idea. Will it be carried on through the lineages? There you go. You, you plan it ahead. We met in, or we started communicating online in a very odd way because I actually was at an Andrew Yang rally. It was totally random. <laughs> it was like the the most random thing that led to me being here. And me and my friends and I, I mean that was the first time i ever been to a political rally and i just suck i mean maybe we were a little high i don't know but i fucking started telling them hey that's him that's the chocolate rain guy he's over there he's right there and i don't know i mean maybe and then, my, then my twitter starts blowing up right and people are like because of like, course were you an andrew yang rally i'm like uh, uh. You, you always think that you're going to be able to talk about somebody online without like realizing like oh of course people are just going to tag them immediately <laughs> yeah. and they're going to see it and like then, immediately like hey right. sunday were you at andrew yang's rally i'm like uh <laughs> No, but <laughs> not really. Your I better style? make a video to like verify this is me. Right, not really your style. You I just up. haven't been to political rallies. Right, I don't blame um, you. That was my I mean, first like, one. I mean, like, I, I might be down to do it. Mm. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Andrew Yang's how great, was it? Great dude. Uh, it was amazing. It was. It was. I thought that the vibe was going to be something else because I guess like the only political rallies that you usually see are mm. like Trump rallies, really, yeah. uh-huh. where there's like violence and people yelling and screaming, and it's very like contentious. Yeah, People just nodding their heads at very yeah. odd things. That was yeah. like the most like great vibe because and part of it too is one thing I realized that maybe I didn't assume was that Andrew Yang has insane levels of support from the Asian community uh-huh. and that event was like right around the corner from Koreatown. So mm-hmm. it was just ton- like huge. It was probably like at least 50% Asian. Everybody's super good vibes, relaxed, super. Well, well you know what I love about Andrew Yang, though, is he's very likable, very personable. Mm. They say that the person who wins the presidency is always the one who's better to have a beer with. Mm. Who can envision that? And that rule has never 
been broken my entire life. Trump doesn't it's, drink beer. Yeah, well, I, I mean, but you but you would have to say, I mean, and I mean, I was not a huge fan of his, mm. but in terms of like, I think he was a great entertainer. Mm. I don't think that means he's a great, you know, president necessarily. Right. But in terms of like who's going to entertain you at a party more, Hillary or Trump? Uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's true. Well, I mean, and even beyond having a beer with every day, it's kind of like, well, who would you rather read on twitter every day and well, in that you sense you know i would rather i mean i, I don't want to be in here saying anything positive about hillary no. but i mean you know hillary seems like she's got her head on her shoulders maybe a little bit more but donald trump is just non-stop entertainment absolutely man. entertaining and that tends to be the litmus i mean mm -hmm. i'm not saying that's how it should be that that's how it is uh but so how did you end up go like did, were you invited by friends were you um, I just sort of got into it from just watching him on Joe Rogan, just All watching right. a couple different little things. And I was just like, you know, I like this guy. I just like wanted to sort of get behind him. I don't know where all this leads because it's like over time, people just are going to have to keep dropping Well, and there's out. so many people in the Democratic primary there's now. Still it's a just bunch, like I, yeah. I can't keep track of it. And like even though nine it, or ten people. it really seems like it's Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and uh, fucking Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Like, those are the only ones who have, like, a real shot. The Andrew Yang thing is a little bit idealistic. Well, yeah, and he's very much in sort of a media blackout in terms mm. of, like, he has trouble getting sure. headlines. He has trouble getting equal treatment mm. to, you know, the other candidates. And, so. I mean, Joe Biden is still technically in the lead, but I feel like once, like, the Bernie voters and the and the Warren voters are clearly just going to vote for each other yeah. once one of those candidates, like, it seems like yeah. Bernie's probably going to be the one who gets eliminated. All those Bernie voters become Warren voters. So, it, yeah. to me, right now, unless there's something outrageously weird that happens, this election is going to be Trump versus Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. I mean, this is why I like ranked choice voting, which they have in other countries, where you don't have to just have your favorite person. You can say, hey, mm. I like Bernie the most. Maybe I like Andrew Yang second. Maybe I like Aunt, uh, Elizabeth Warren third. And That's then, like, interesting. It accommodates that in the election process. You know, what you don't want to end up being is like the people who voted for Ralph Nader in 2000 in right. Florida, where it's like 4,000 people, whatever, voted for Ralph Nader. And then you know, Al Gore would have been president mm. uh, had those people not done. So that's kind of like the calculus in everybody's head. You're like, mm, if I support this person, then does that mean Trump mm. is going to win? But do, you, do so, you think of yourself as like an inherently political public figure? Because a lot of people, I think it goes under mention that Chocolate Rain was very much racial commentary. Yeah, you know, and I, I ran away from that for so many years when really? it came out because I think it went viral partly because it was like, hey, here's a dude who has a deep voice. Uh, he has a voice body mismatch. Uh, he's kind of feminine facial features and he's a small guy. He doesn't look like he um, sounds like that. So there is sort of that circus aspect to me and frankly, everything else that went viral on YouTube at that time. It seemed like people really liked it for the silliness. Yes. And they, they weren't trying to read into yeah. it. I feel like nowadays that racial now, now, element now. might have been the thing that would be like the yeah. whole story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And listen was, to this powerful pro-black song. Now yeah. that that would be how it would be framed. Yeah. Right? But when it came out, like I like I was very reluctant to step into it being a Malcolm X type moment or a an activist type moment because ultimately I knew that people who disagreed with the message of the song mm. were singing it, having fun with it. Uh, a big part of it was parodying it. There were thousands of people who would parody it on YouTube and sing like menstrual pain or whatever <laughs> the jo joke lyrics they could come up with. <laughs> and that was such like a huge part of the momentum. And also what YouTube liked is that I was the family friendly viral star because mm. you had people going viral like Soldier Boy had to have the huge like Soldier, uh, 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 crank that. But he's Soldier um, Boy. He's Soldier Boy. Um Bless him, but you know, it's not necessarily family friendly. Chris mm. Crocker, leave Brittany alone, where it's like, I mean, the video starts with, and how fuck do you hear anybody? It's not very family friendly. So, like, I was the 
family-friendly viral example that YouTube was like, oh, wow, right. like, we can actually do a PR tour with this. And they did that. They did a front page takeover of YouTube with me singing Chocolate Rain and I think 15 other people who had done versions, parodies of it. And like the whole thing was just this random, the stars aligning. Like it just happened to be that I put a free MP3 for download because at the time YouTube would only uh, do mono audio. Uh. And I was frustrated. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put it down to download in stereo. And then that ended up being a huge part. The fact that it loops so that people could just take the beginning and re-sing the song basically very easily in an right. editor was just like all of these stars alighting to to create this moment. That would have happened, like the whole process of that happening in the modern day and age would be so, the process would be so much better lubricated. Yeah. Because nowadays, if that song just sort of came out on the internet, guaranteed the TikTok kids would get it, the fucking meme kids would get it, they yeah. would blow it up fucking fast at that time that happening seemed like this freak accident that everybody was so shocked by because we didn't really have much of a frame of reference for how this was to occur yeah well and youtube did not have a frame of reference for what would be successful on their platforms mm. if you remember 2007 myspace was still the biggest thing in music mm. and everyone was talking about their top eight and and it was like it was the behemoth in social media right facebook was still this kind of up-and-comer where they had just like opened up their network to not just be colleges not be just friends that you knew mm -hmm. so youtube was trying to find like what is the content type that could only happen on here mm. that wouldn't happen on our competitors right they still wanted stars and like they they were trying to figure out who were going to be the next the, the youtube stars yeah yeah. So interesting. But I always say, because so, YouTube has changed yeah, tremendously. Yeah. And I would say there was kind of a viral video era of YouTube. From, I'd say, about 2006, where you had stuff going viral like Diet Coke and Mentos. And, and you know, I'd say through about Gangnam Style, which was, what, 2011, 2012. Right. Where... Um, individual videos were allowed to be super viral and you had hundreds of millions, billions of views on them. Now YouTube is very different. You know, around 2012, they change it so there's an algorithm that pays attention to what your audience does, right. uh, to audience behavior. So they could see, hey, are you creating the behavior of people clicking on videos, staying a long time, mm. new people showing up every time you upload a video. They call that session start time on YouTube. Mm. And so they made the algorithm pays attention to all these things and to make sure that you are maximizing those things. So they promote videos that create those Chocolate results. Chocolate Rain would not have been smiled upon quite like it was if it had come well, out no, in because, that era, right? Because it's an or in this era. Because ultimately it's a song that alienated a lot of people as it went popular. Really? Like it went popular, but at the same time, I think it's a song that some people would like look at for 30 seconds, 45 seconds and be like, whoa, that's <laughs> intense. Like, you know, right. this dude, you know, he uh, looks like Bruno Mars, sounds like Barry White, and moves like Mr. Bean. Like, <laughs> I, I wasn't ready for that. Right. I need to take a break and maybe come back and watch it later. Uh. Now YouTube sees that behavior like, oh, they're leaving after 45 seconds? Right. I, I, we're going to kill this. This is not going to be successful. Now YouTube wants you to be a Jake Paul. They want you to have an army of people watching you for 10 minutes a day. Yeah, for, tw for 20 minutes. They want you to be consistent yeah. over and over and over. Yeah. That's how you fucking finesse the the but but that same exact content we were talking about that algorithm i feel like that same exact stuff would probably be much more suited for tiktok or instagram or whatever now yeah and i think that i mean i mean honestly i feel like kind of the old man on the internet with like oh my gosh tiktok igtv <laughs> uh i'm just starting to like because i figured out how to upload longer videos to twitter uh -huh. which at least allows me to 
put the video in a context of a conversation. Mm. Like, hey, I'm going to, re- okay, it's Jacques Lorraine, I reply it to a conversation that might be about race. Right. Um, you used to be able to do that on YouTube. YouTube used to have replies. Remember that? No. It used to have uh, more user control over how you syndicated your content, how you could get it seen by other people. Uh, ultimately, they found humans unreliable, so they took away that human control and mm-hmm. put it in the hands of a computer. Let's talk about who you were before all this madness started happening. Ooh. Um well, Chocolate Rain happened uh, when I was in graduate school at okay. the University of Minnesota. I thought I would be a university professor, um, not because I was great at it. You know, I finished college. I went to uh, Evergreen State College. It was in Olympia, Washington, an hour south of Seattle. Uh-huh. Finished there. It's, you know, kind of a, a it's known as a liberal college. You know, it was in the news a couple of years ago for. Um, oh, Evergreen. Uh, yeah. Yes, Evergreen, so I know for, exactly what you're talking about for, now. Yeah. For, for that whole story. You know, you can Google it if you haven't seen that story. But right. um, so it's kind of known as, as, as liberal. And, you know, there aren't grades. There are written evaluations and whatnot. And it was a good school. Um, I had an advisor there who, uh, because I knew that I wanted to get a doctorate in somebody since I was a kid, I wanted to get a PhD. I think I was a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation and the sense of being doctor somebody when everyone is in a room and someone went up to a podium and it's like, hey, doctor, so-and-so is here. I was like, man, that's power. Mm. That is power to be able to walk into a room with a PhD. I just want to be called doctor. So uh, I didn't want to get a job after undergrad. I wanted to apply to grad school and figure I'd, I, I almost pursued a PhD like most people pursue high school, mm. assumed, assumed that it was going to happen. And so my advisor told me, hey, I got my, he, this is him speaking, he got his degree uh, in American studies at Bowling Green, which American studies is kind of broad. It's, it, it integrates, it's, it's heavily informed by history. So a lot of times people just say I studied history. Mm. Uh, but I applied to American Studies programs. University of Minnesota accepted me with four years of funding, mm. which is a big deal wow. uh, in grad school because then you can do it without debt. Mm. Um, and so three of those years ended up being a TA, which, you know, I was a terrible teacher's assistant. Uh, I apologize to anybody who was in my undergrad sections. Uh, I just, you know, <laughs> um, but, you know, I kind of lost my heart for being a graduate student while I was in grad school. This was 2004 that I started at UMN and I wasn't passionate about teaching, mm. was not passionate about research. And if you're not passionate about either, you know, getting in front of people and instructing them or doing the research, you, so you were kind of having that problem where, and I always think about this as being like a super difficult decision to make is yeah. that for a young kid, it's like, you got to choose what you want to do with yourself when you're like 18, 20, et cetera. Yeah. And maybe something seems like it makes sense. Or maybe like, you know, something as simple as you just like the idea of having the title of doctor but then you start to get more and more familiar about what this process really entails there's so so much politics in the academy of like i mean it's like anything else in life it's like who's uh what professors are you appealing to who who likes you who's going to give you first and second authorships on their papers invite you to conferences Uh uh there are philosophical debates academic debates inside the department so are are you on this side or that side and you know it's kind of hard to get through without being a sycophant and navigating the politics of uh, your field or whoever is prominent in that field. And I think I just kind of got to a point, it sounds cocky and it, it's uh, weird, but I didn't want to study history. I wanted to be historic. Mm. I wanted to make history. Um, studying history and talking to people about, you know, theories and, and, and Marx and Chomsky and all these things, you know, that's a very narrow conversation. Mm. There aren't a lot of people who um, can follow up on that conversation. Whereas, if you do something that's popular or that reaches a lot of people, then uh, 
you can have more impact. But so you explicitly want to get into entertainment? Well, it's weird. You know, I made up the name Tazon Day. My right. government name's Adam Bonner. And I, I, as well being an Adam, <laughs> I would just like to say, great name. <laughs> uh, so uh, I started to think, hey, you know, maybe I want to do this. YouTube was coming along in 2006. Mm. And what it was is I was singing at open mics in Minneapolis. I'd take my keyboard. I'd always done music as a hobby since I was a kid. Mm. Never seriously, but I always had a keyboard and played around. My mom was a pianist and an opera singer and whatnot. So it was always kind of like in the environment. Um, so I'd done it as a hobby. And I got sick of dragging my keyboard and amp and other equipment out to open mics in the winter in Minneapolis. And I remember one specific time that I brought like a 40 pound amp and a 30 pound keyboard and had it like with an alligator cable and one of those airport things that you wheel it. And I wheeled it into this mom and pop cafe and it took me 10 minutes to set up. I sang two songs and like there were three people there. Two of them were reading the newspaper and the other one was Minnesotan. Minnesotans are very nice. So they're like, yeah, that was great. Uh, Keep doing that. And I was like, uh, there has to be a better way to get my music out there. So YouTube came along and I'm like looking, hey, um, who was big on YouTube in 2006? I think Ryan Leslie was mm. the most subscribed YouTube musician. But I was like, hey, people are just making videos in their living room. Uh, why don't I try to set that up? And then came the question of, well, if I do that, at this point in my life, I think I'm still going to be a university professor right. uh, under my name, Adam Bonner. Uh, why don't I create this other character, this other name, uh, to, to do it under? And hopefully it'll just kind of be a secret thing on the down low and what happens with it happens. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, that didn't end up happening. I created Tazon Day in January of 2007. And, uh, yeah, it didn't blow up initially. Um, it was your third upload, right? Chocolate Rain was probably about my 12th upload. Oh, okay. And even then, because it was, I started the channel in January. It was April 2007 that I uploaded Chocolate Rain. Even then, it didn't go super viral. I finished Chocolate Rain as an afterthought. It was never supposed to be the finished version. I had another video that I'd uh, done in a collab with an Australian dude called Love. I think it's still on my YouTube channel. Uh -huh. That they uh, announced they were going to feature on the front page of YouTube. And when you got that announcement in 2007, it was like winning the lottery. You got an because, email telling you they were going to feature yes, it? Yes. Well, asking, hey, do you mind if we feature this on the front page? And I was like, uh, hey, that would be great. That's so crazy. Yeah, uh, I guess maybe was it that you like were selected in some way, or things were different then? Because nowadays the algorithm will just shine oh, yeah, upon not, you, and you they have don't no have idea. any human curation on YouTube uh, anymore. But at the time, all the different sections on YouTube actually had an editor who handpicked videos right. to be in them. So you well, have the trending page is like that still, right? Because yeah. the trending page is all kinds of human manipulation. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I think. Uh, you know, I, I saw that that was going to be featured at a certain time. Like, okay, I have this other song, Chocolate Rain, that I've been working on. You know, I've had the loop in my head for maybe five or six years. I spent six weeks writing lyrics to it. I had it all, like, the pieces together. That's like, a process. Why don't I just rush this finished over a weekend? And 
I did it. I just put out, I got FL Studio and looped it. And it's a very simple song. Uh, I didn't really know how to use the software that I was using to do it. And I put it up as an afterthought so that I could double dip, knowing that people would see the other video, then they could go to my page uh, on YouTube and, and you see you know, this other new video, Chocolate mm -hmm. Rain. Um, it didn't really blow up until someone posted it on dig.com, which uh, for those of you kids, it's kind of like what Reddit is now. It's a, social, yeah, it's a social bookmarking site that was big uh, before Reddit. Yeah. And uh, it was on the front page of Dig for a couple weeks uh, because that's how Dig works. Someone saw it there, posted it on 4chan, which I had heard nothing about. Right. I, I like knew nothing about 4chan, B-tards, uh, absolutely nothing. Uh, but it became sort of a joke on 4chan. And the first sense I had that Chocolate Rain was blowing up at all or becoming like bigger than, than usual was 4chan conspired to prank call Tom Green during his show uh, that he was doing out of his, his living room. And halfway through, the caller just busts out singing, Chocolate Rain! And then Tom Green is like, Chocolate Rain! And I, I saw the video of this, I'm like, oh, cool. You know, the dude who did Freddy Got Fingered just <laughs> sang my song. Like, he's kind of a celebrity. I don't really know him, but like, right. that's a known person. And then after that, you know, the, the views just started piling up and it was featured on, Carson Daly was doing a traditional uh, format on NBC at that time and he featured on his show. And I remember the very first radio interview I ever did about Chocolate Rain. And please don't, these are all on YouTube and I'm terrible in them. Uh, but uh, it was on Playboy radio no 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 it was opie and anthony uh playboy was after it was opie and anthony and i followed a conversation about how much of the ocean was made up of whale semen <laughs> and so and you know you like you do the radio interview and you're like in your ear you hear what's happening before you in the show and so it's like well it seems like 40 percent of the ocean might be made up of whale junk oh and we have this dude who's blowing up in the viral video we have the actual chocolate rain dude unrelated then, to <laughs> whale semen <laughs> uh and like i had no sense of being a public face or what to do in interviews. Right. Like all of my early interviews are super, super awkward because I was just literally this nerd plucked out of my living room, uh, put on a national stage. You're just toiling away, trying to scrounge up some little bit of fame at this yeah. point. And then all of a sudden, because of the internet, you're just absolutely bombarded with it so Absol fast and then, in a way that never could have happened before. Yeah. And there were no breadcrumbs to follow. Like I couldn't see had this happened to Rebecca right. Black, had this happened to Antoine Dodson, there was no one I could see, what did they do? Mm. So I kind of had to take that inundation of being quote unquote hot. Three of the four major labels at the time uh, weren't, were interested in signing me. Everyone wanted, to, wanted me to perform at their you know, kid's birthday party, their kid's bar mitzvah. Their, this is way before William Hung too as well. Yeah. This was actually, no, I think this was around. Okay. Um, I think William Hung was either happening or had already happened to some extent at that time because uh, I mean, people and not necessarily kindly were yeah. comparing me to William Hong. What it blew up, like, ah, it's the next William Hong. This is the, this is the uh, world of the internet now. Just no talent. Did you have the instinct to just be like, I need? Because now, anyone who gets in that position, my advice to them, and maybe you could tell me if you agree, my advice would be: take this moment, 
be willing to be on tour, on call, do everything you can possibly do, get every dollar that you can because this is your moment to create a platform, to get people to pay attention. You just seize everything right now because this isn't going to last for that long and you need to make what you can out of it. That is what my advice would be. Yeah. Now, was that your attitude at the no, time? No, I was stupid and I lost millions of dollars because I was stupid. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing that was very stupid is... I had Chocolate Rain as a free MP3 download in the video. Okay, that was stupid in retrospect? And no, 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 no. That wasn't stupid. What was stupid is that because I had the free MP3 download, I was like, why bother putting it on iTunes? Why bother, why bother mm. putting it you know, for, for sale for download? Uh, meanwhile, people who had viral videos that were very viral, but maybe a little bit less, like uh, Liam Cal Sullivan, shoe, uh, his shoes song, made $1.3 million in iTunes in the first years it was out because tied to an album and it went viral mm. and you know he had been doing music for 10 years so he had made a smarter choice in that regard um but i think i i was also very like i created the youtube channel and created says on day basically to find who i was mm. uh and when all of that heat hit i was still very early in that journey mm. of figuring out what i wanted to do and who i was and like youtube was an experimental thing for me and I think rather than seizing it from as a business, like you look at someone who seized it like a business, a brilliant uh, uh, businesswoman, Miranda Sings, mm. uh, aka Colleen ba Ballinger, who you know she was a train, she graduated as a trained coloratura soprano, fantastic real life, technically trained singer. She's like, man, there are thousands of talented girls. Um, I'm going to make this character who is over the top and gaudy and designed to be viral sensation. It was and calculated. It was calculated. Yours was not calculated. Mine was not calculated. <laughs> Mine was just kind of being me and then accidentally became successful. And right. then I spent years being conflicted about who I wanted to be. Because there was part of me that wanted to be taken seriously. Mm. There was part of me that wanted to prove that, hey, you know, I can sing well. I can, you know, sing Frank Sinatra or sing, you know, like Josh Groban or uh, Mike Bublé. Um, and, you know, I can't sing like I can't perform like them. But I think part of my ego was like, okay, this Tazon Day thing is being popular in this way. But uh, that way is kind of making me feel a little bit safe and uncomfortable. And it's a meme and it's sort of out of control and it's not really established. I want to move my popularity to become more comfortable, uh, uh, more popular in a way that I'm comfortable with, mm. which is more traditional. And I spent years kind of in that conflict in my YouTube channel where you'll see some of the covers I was posting at the time. And it's like, and it's not that I'm bad at, you know, singing Disney covers or Frank Sinatra or whatever, but it's not what I initially became popular for. Mm. And I think 12 years on, now I see, they say hindsight is 2020. I can see, man, you know what I needed to do right then is lean into the meme, just yes and it, and be like, hey, chocolate rain, yes, I, I sing with a deep voice and I'm happy. And, <laughs> you know, just like the trollolo guy, chocolate rain, trollolo, la, 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 and just like milk that. Mm. Uh, because ultimately, people, the most magnetic part of my business was just people seeing me be happy as <laughs> right. I sang. As, and you know that kind of connected to them and then they wanted to be happy and that, that's really all it was about and you're like a, a family friendly corporate friendly yeah. face voice everybody wants to support a young person of color these days yeah. that's like a big part of it nowadays it would be such a more established pipeline for you you'd be like going to the google office <laughs> and doing a little talk I, and I like, did actually you know, i did right. actually go to the google okay office. there I, you go I, uh, they invited me to their zeitgeist conference in 2007 which is their like uh super i don't think, think they have it every year right i don't know if i'm still under nda 12 years later but you know it was fun <laughs> it, it was like the freakiest moment that happened there is i was in a coffee room 
uh, like be backstage because they were doing a little corporate meeting at, at, at Google's headquarters. Right. And Al Gore walks in the room and he's like, is this where the coffee is? And I'm just like at my laptop, I'm like, shit. Did he come in alone or did he, he, he come was in alone. with a little mob? No, no, no? He, was, he was alone. He's totally by himself. And he's like, hey, is this where the coffee machine is? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I was just totally just like yeah. freaked out. But, and then, you know, I mean, you're around those crowds of CEOs. Like, I mean, I, I'm 5'8", but like CEOs tend to be tall. They're like mm. six foot one, six foot two. So it's like, I was like, okay, I'm the YouTube talent. I'm <laughs> the, happening on this new YouTube platform thing. But man, Google knows how to party. Google spends mm. money on parties. Like when they party, they... <laughs> it's almost I like mean, they've got a lot of money to spend from <laughs> uh, stealing and monetizing all of our identity and personal information <laughs> for the past 10 years. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is for a while they thought Facebook was beating them at that. Mm. And that's why they had that whole Google Plus debacle is around 2011, 2012, they're like, oh, gosh, Facebook is collecting more social data mm. about people and their relationships and how they talk to each other. Uh, so we need to come up with our own social network, which is what the, uh, the concept of Google Plus was mm. ultimately to be a machine to generate social data for Google and allow them to compete with Facebook. Um, as that fell on its face and they had the forced YouTube integration, all sorts of things, I think Google realized that they could spy on us other ways through our yeah. Gmail. We don't got to tell they, them. Yeah, through our Gmail, through our advertising cookies. And right now, YouTube is a platform uh, looks at more than a thousand different pieces of data to try and predict what videos you are most likely to watch and keep watching on the platform. So right. they know where you're located. They see the advertising cookies uh, that, from other sites that you've visited, uh, how fast you scroll down the page, all of these factors to try and figure out how will we make this as addictive as crack to this particular individual. Mm. And, you know, it's crazy to think about at that time when you were blowing up that your instinct was, I'm becoming famous for a version of me that's not the real me. And that, yeah. that to some extent struck you as, oh, this is a bad thing. And that now the the commonplace mentality is it doesn't matter if it's the <laughs> real you. Monetize this thing and just do this thing as long as you can. And and that in itself sort of is is very strange to me that our understanding of the internet has changed so much that it's almost like, you know, and I, I think about that because Kanye was fucking ranting the other day saying, you know, uh, you know, rappers will say, I got your bitch. Yeah. That Instagram's got your bitch. Like he says it in this goofy ass way. It becomes a meme. But I mean, it is true. And if you think about it, is that because Instagram has incentivized us so much, it's very, very common now in our society for women to be much more comfortable showing their bodies on Instagram. And I mean, I would argue that probably for the most part, that's a good thing. But I mean, th there's such an extent to which we are incentivized by money and fame, et cetera, to just be what the algorithm tells us to be. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, it's it's weird because like on one, there are two ways to think about it. Mm. Another way to think about it is, hey, if I'm just whoever I am, then and I guess I tag and label that correctly, that can build an audience of people who are into that. Mm -hmm. It might not convert everybody, but if it converts five percent of people, then eventually that five percent will compound, mm -hmm. and you'll have an audience that uh, um, is based on that minority. But it's, it's weird. Like I mean, you would look. Because there's this period on YouTube where, you know, 2011, 2012, where Justin Bieber, Lady Gaga, like they were all having these billion view videos. And you would look and what was it? Justin Bieber's baby was at one time the most disliked video on right. YouTube. And you know, like, and then they're kind of like, well, if he has the most disliked video on YouTube, as successful as he is, mm. then 
how much do I really need to pay attention to my metrics? Right. Like, uh, is it important to have an audience that cultivate? Like, there was this period of time, I guess what I'm getting at, where success on YouTube and viral success on YouTube happened because content was just kind of forced on people, whether they wanted to see it or not. Mm. I think Chocolate Rain was in this category. And once YouTube started paying more attention to, hey, does the person watching this actually like this? Mm. Um, and, you know, they tried to milk more views and more more watch time out of them. Then, you know, that, that whole viral video era just kind of ended. And you see it now with a lot of the political stuff where before it was just kind of like understood that the algorithm was going to end up promoting Ben Shapiro videos because Ben Shapiro videos are inflammatory and yeah. they heat people up and people keep watching because they start to get angry. And then now it's starting to get to the point where you hear all these political commentators saying that they're being downranked and they're not, they're not having the context contest uh, spread so much. And I mean, it makes sense because just because the algorithm sort of works that way by default doesn't mean that the algorithm can't be adjusted to perhaps, you know, th there's so many things that you could base the algorithm on aside from just do people just watch this content and keep watching like and are there ways for us to somehow teach the algorithm about if a person is having a meaningful experience with that content and really at the end of the day though the scary part is that that all is just going to involve more and more yeah. spying if i watch a, a youtube video and i email it to my mom the algorithm if it knew that would probably be able to surmise that like, this is an extremely important piece of content the question yeah. is is like are we going to just completely let them in so they can really know our innermost thoughts about this content? What if they could fucking have a wire going into your brain so, or, or the phone could sense your heart rate and it could tell when you really loved a piece of content? Like, Yeah. I mean, well, the whole thing with YouTube, Facebook is guilty of this, et cetera, is like they don't want to show anybody content that they disagree, that, that person disagrees with. Mm. So, you know, I think the, the complaint of a lot of political commentators, whether it's Ben Shapiro or whatever, is that their videos are not reaching audiences that are not already in their choir mm. in their course their content is not being shown you know the young turks their content is not being shown to people who are swing voters voters or conservatives um and you know youtube is in this weird position because like on on one hand they're kind of in this mode of saying hey yeah we support free speech and whatnot um you know, I was on, on Twitter the other day just because they have this thing called YouTube Black, which is, this, yeah. is to, to amplify the voices of black creators. So I think it's a great idea. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen them talk behind closed doors. They're like, hey, um, though you do have some prominent black creators like MKBHD or KSI, overall, if you look at all the data, um, successful black creators are underrepresented uh, on YouTube versus their proportion of the population. Mm -hmm. And and so it's kind of an effort to fix that. And um, But at the same time, <laughs> it's really this sort of vague thing of, hey, we're going to throw parties for for black creators and and invite them together and help them network but like there isn't a critique of hey the, we're going to advance a critique of racism and whatnot and you know it would be odd if they did that because then of course they have people like you know Stephen Crowder and and Stephen Molyneux and Ben Shapiro on their platform who would absolutely tear that idea apart and then be very against affirmative action or promoting that and I mm -hmm. I, I keep wishing that YouTube would be a little bit less hands-off and say hey, we're actually going to put our foot down and advance critique here. But, you know, Facebook just got in hot water over that, mm. over, um, you know, not wanting to take sides in what is a political truth or, or mm. allow political uh, content to be uncensored, whether it's truthful or not. Because the argument that I've heard, which I find pretty compelling, is like you can definitely say that uh, Stephen Crowder has said plenty of offensive shit over the years, but has it reached the threshold in which it's so clearly different from what like a, a late night talk show host is saying in the other direction? Mm -hmm. And I understand that like on the surface of 
watching his content, you might be able to say, yes, of course, it's far more offensive. It's far more, uh, there's, there's much more like different things going on here and stuff. But I mean, YouTube has to justify these decisions in particular, if you're going to take somebody who has millions of followers off yeah. of the platform, it's like they have to hold people to such a standard. And, but that, that's kind of the whole thing is it's much easier for them to sort of make it. So you're never going to see a Steven Carter video unless you go very much out of your way to see it. Yeah. Which, and, and then they'll show it to you all the time. Like, right. I mean, God, I, mm. it's scary. Like I start watching like, you know, uh, animal birth videos or whatever, like lions or tigers or whatever. And, you know, just out of curiosity, I'm just, you know, bored and better like, oh, what does that look like? And then two days later, it's like, hey, you want to see, <laughs> you want to see a llama being born? You want to yeah. see an elephant being born? Like it really pays attention. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think what scared the bejeebers out of YouTube was really the Jake Paul thing where, you know, the, um, Logan, or, or the Logan Paul, yeah. uh, pardon me, uh, the Logan Paul thing, uh, you know, with, with uh, when that video um, you know, had all of its effects. Mm. They were kind of like, oh gosh, we really need to buckle down on making sure there's an algorithm to keep the content brand safe. And now mm. creators will say, if they have the wrong keyword, um, even appearing in a video, like I had a friend who did a video that was at a, a community pool, a family vlogger, great guy. And the pool had a sign that says, warning, death, danger, da 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 da. If you jump in, just like every pool has. Right. But he put it up on YouTube. And it got demonetized. The word death. And the, yeah, and then he realized, wait, they are OCRing. They're doing optical character recognition mm. on the text content inside the video. And the word death is triggering. It's, uh, they're afraid, you know, it, it triggers their brand safety algorithm now, mm. um, which they're not really transparent about. Um, but, you know, they're in, a, they're in a tough pickle. It is a tough pickle to mm. um, be a platform now and to not seem like you are taking sides. Um, speaking of late night, uh, late night is totally different now than it was like in, in the nineties, uh, uh, when I was growing up because, uh, you know, you have Stephen Colbert, you have, uh, uh, you know, the, the shows are much more political. Stephen mm. Colbert is very much on the left. Um, you know, I think Fallon still kind of tries to stay sort of in the center of political, but, uh, Kimmel is very much on the left. Um, so it, that's very different than it was in the nineties where like in the nineties, the, there was this sense that they had to like tell an equal number of jokes about Democrats and Republicans. Now it's just nonstop Trump jokes if you mm. turn it on uh, uh, Stephen Colbert. So it's like, you know, even that, that whole shift has informed TV. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Yeah, it is crazy, too, because, like, I know in the back of my head, we don't want to talk about terrorism. You mm -hmm. know, as YouTubers, that's the number one thing that I've found. I've done two-hour podcasts with fucking some somebody where we're having an intelligent, high-minded conversation about that and the white supremacy aspect of it, stuff like that. And I've just found that those keywords are the number one thing by far that triggers that shit because that's like the number one thing that they're scared of propagating. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it would be, I, I wish there was a little bit more transparency about mm -hmm. demonetization or if right. they, or if they at least like gave it a score being like, Hey, your video scored a D plus on monetizability. Then you could at least upload it as a private video and kind of see like, Oh, I need this to score higher in order to, to, to monetize it. But, um, 
it's tough because the more they disclose about how it works, then, you know, the more people are going to try and find ways to circumvent it. So, um, but, you know, it's, it it goes back to like, what are the up and coming platforms? Because each platform kind of has a prime time where it's uncensored, where like they don't pay as much attention to the content. And then as time goes on and they monetize it, Mm. they are very strict about it. So you look at a, a platform like TikTok now, um, which is up and coming, and it's kind of like the new kid on the block. It's like it's more freeform. It's a little bit less uh, censored, and I think that's sort of the natural life cycle of platforms. And that's the crazy thing that I've been noticing is like when you think about what, like, functionally, what all the different platforms do. Like MySpace was really replaced by Facebook, yeah. but that now when you sort of look at the major sites, you know, you have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's easy to sort of map out what niche they're filling. Like Twitter is short thoughts, links, that sort of thing does really good for that sort of thing. Facebook is very much like a, a real archive of everybody that you know. Instagram is really, you know, more this pictorial beauty based thing. But now you see more platforms coming out like the Visco thing, the TikTok thing, where the technology is not the thing that's different so much it's really a, a, a different culture being created on these platforms yeah. and in a lot of ways sort of being incentivized by the technology and the platform itself. But like TikTok is not fundamentally different than like everything you can do on TikTok, you can do on Twitter and, and Instagram. Yeah. But it's a different world. Well, and, and I think, you know, the, the other factor, which is the elephant in the room in many cases is that the tastemakers on the internet are so tremendously young. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, social media has always been an environment of basically pediatric taste making where the people who are most active who have the most time to spend time on their phones are 9, 10, 11, 12. Even like teenagers have a little bit less time and then you keep getting a little bit less time the older you get. And so I think that's reflected in the content that's most popular on, on the platform in some ways. Um, you know, historically you have creators like Smosh, PewDiePie, et cetera. These are creators who grew the biggest because they were popular with very young uh, fans and YouTube is still very much in this case we're telling advertisers, hey, yeah, maybe most of the eyeball time is it's disproportionately young, but there are still enough people at all ages that you can advertise to seniors and 40 year, mm. year olds and you know that classic 18 to 49 demographic that advertisers will pay the most money to uh, um, advertise on. But even that like I mean being in LA, you kind of see this shift from the old Hollywood and old industry to um, I guess, digital media, what YouTube is now, um, YouTubers are still tremendously underpaid Mm. for advertisements compared to television. If you look at the numbers on television, um, and YouTube kind of did this thing a couple years ago where they started giving the late night shows or the daytime shows like Ellen tremendous promotion, Mm. almost as sort of like a a chutzpah thing to say, hey, we dare you to not be on YouTube because we are going to give you so much traffic. You need to be successful on our platform in order to be culturally relevant. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, uh, the advertising dollars they're they're there on YouTube, but you know, TV still it, it, for the number of views um, commands a much higher rate, and that's just. I think that's just old money. Mm. I think that's people in their 50s and 60s making the decisions. And once the people who are in their 30s and 40s now get into those management decisions, you're going to see this exodus uh, in favor of digital media. Even something like the brand deal thing, which is a huge percentage of a lot of like bigger YouTubers and even smaller YouTubers. I mean, it's so much easier to get brand deals now. It's so much easier for people to sort that shit out. Whereas in 2007, 2008, 2009, that shit was like fucking 
you just had to know people. You just had to be no. networking on a different level. Think about that time period. Everybody was getting fucked by their MCN. Oh, yeah. It was a wild, wild west scenario. Oh, yeah, man. And then, like, the news came out about Machinima and Defy and all, all these yeah. other places. And be like, oh, gosh, that's, that's a terrible story. But I will say um, a lot of the brand deals on YouTube now are affiliate marketing deals where, you know, they give you a link and then you get paid, you know, $5 per account gained or $10 per account Is gained. that what people are so, doing? Uh, that's what I – I mean, I – Get a sense that that is more available mm. than the type of brand deal where you know they say, "Hey, here's ten or fifteen or twenty or thirty thousand bucks," um, and you know I've never liked affiliate marketing deals myself. Like no, it, no, it's, no, it's, yeah. it's very <laughs> tough to um, take responsibility for the conversion. You're taking, you're creating a huge amount of brand awareness, and then you're only getting paid for the tiny percentage that actually engage at that moment and remember to use your code. I would never yeah. fuck with that shit. Hell no. Um, um do you? At, at what are you still able to monetize uh, your notoriety still at this point, or is that like, like in, and in what ways do you still get offers based on your fame? You know, it's weird. Like, I mean, I don't get huge numbers on YouTube anymore, partly because I've just never been a good YouTuber. I've always been a you know upload a couple times a year and you know see if people you know if it reaches an audience type YouTuber. My entire career, mm. um, I'm on Cameo now, which is a huge platform. Oh, but, you do uh, good on there. Yeah, nice. uh, which is uh, basically Hallmark cards uh, for uh, you can for different levels of celebrities. So mm. I think Cameo is a fantastic place to be for a C or D list celebrity mm. um, uh, because like people who, who know you for a particular thing, but you know you're not like you know Will Smith or, or you know uh, maybe uh, I should Tom try Hanks. it out again. I did it for a little while. Um, it's good to just be on because you never know who is searching for you. It's gotten to be a pretty big platform now. I think they just had like a three hundred million uh, million dollar valuation mm. in their last round of venture capital. What's your rate? And that was like, um, I mean, I haven't said it a hundred dollars right now. That's what I would but, do about that. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen really famous people with like thousand dollars and shit, and yeah. I'm like, well, you know, because everybody has their price. Yeah, you have to be at like where it's an impulse purchase. Yeah. Um, but it's also, I mean, it's really fun. I actually enjoy just when people say, hey, I want you to wish my, you know, my husband a happy birthday right. or, you know, my coworker just bought a new house and or they're getting married or they're having a baby. And I'd like to see your congratulations on that. Um, this sense that uh, I made a big enough dent in the universe. Um, that's a, 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 something Steve Jobs talked about is like do something that makes a dent in the universe and that I made a big enough dent that people just randomly remember 12 years later. Hey. That's the guy who did that video that, you know, when I yeah. was when I was in junior high in the computer lab or whatever, when I was in college, we were laughing about that. People have the specific memory mm. of when they first saw Chocolate Rain or when they first experienced Chocolate Rain. Um, and, and it's a little bit odd. It's like my parents' generation. You know, there's going to be things they always remember, like, you know, I, like landing on the moon or, or JFK. I mean, not to get too dark, but like historical things. And Chocolate Rain ended up being one of those things where it's just like. Hey, a lot of people remember where they were, what they were doing. Shared consciousness of just one thing that everybody sort of remembers that time yeah. period. Even, you know, like like even the most out of touch people that don't really spend much time on social media or whatever, you could still you remember that, right? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. It's so weird to think that there's so much shit like that now. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Cameo is also just fun to like search for and just like see some of the stuff. Like, I'm like, whoa, Tony Little, he's the dude from like, like I yeah. think he's on. I mean, and and you know, it's 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 fun. Um, I think 
uh, in terms of pursuing entertainment, because I've also done you know, singing, acting, voice work. I've, I, I have a good theatrical agent, and and I do voice work. And um, you know, I've, I've voiced promos for MLB Network for nine years, and I've done stuff for Cartoon Network and some other clients. It's uh, it's great uh, to, and that came largely from my YouTube. Like people saw me on YouTube, and they're like, "Hey, right? Uh, what if he voiced this?" And then that has fortunately turned into some uh, to some great gigs. Um, I think right now. There's a lot of downward pressure on both acting and voice work because you can go to Fiverr and have someone do a voiceover for, you know, a couple of bucks. Really? So that it's much harder to make a buck in the industry it's now? It's harder if people are budget conscious. Really? And so, you know, I, the way around that is to, you know, try to have uh, other factors like, hey, I have a social media following or I'm known or this or that. Yeah. But a lot of times in voiceover, they're not going for someone who is known because they don't want to upstage the product. Like they don't like if they're trying to like sell shoes, uh, they don't want you to think about who the voice who, who is. The they just want is. a nice sounding voice. They just voice. want a nice sounding voice. It's a little bit like sweeping the floor. It's kind of like okay, we can bring in someone else to do that if you don't want to do it, and that sort of keeps the price down. Like the days of the celebrity VO are you know sort of drifting in the past. There was really? that whole thing with uh, Gil- was it Gilbert Gottfried who was the uh, Affleck duck, like the uh, the voice of Affleck, and you know, he tweeted something other that that, that it was. I just remember it was something that could offend Japanese people. It was like it was a joke. And they do a lot of business in Japan. So they're like, oh, my gosh, this is a disaster. We've got to replace the Aflac duck. And so I think companies are very reluctant. Uh-huh. Um, and so that puts me in a situation where it's like if I'm pursuing acting gigs or voice acting gigs, is being known on social media an asset or is it a liability? Is um, Would it be better to just have my voice and just kind of be – Adam off the street who never had any attention on YouTube. I think about that all the time when I'm looking at actors who are at the point in their career where they're able to like be just a guy who's in commercials for all state. And it's like, wow, that's so crazy that your image is that clean because there's probably, you know, it's just so easy. The littlest things could happen. That would be, I always think about subway. Subway oh, oh, put oh God, the oh fate God. of their brand <laughs> oh in Lord. just a random fat oh, guy, and he ended uh, up being a kitty such a like, oh one of the <laughs> biggest food corporations in the uh, world. Yeah. That was that was ugly. That was ugly to see. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, that right yeah. there. If I was the CEO of Subway, that would be like. <laughs> No more in yeah, influencers like never, endorsements never, never, ever never, again. Never At least again. not that intertwined with your brand. Yeah, man, yeah. they got unlucky with that or one. The, or I mean, even uh, in, in uh, uh, more casual sense, the uh, Verizon "Can You Hear Me Now" guy oh, yeah. did an ad for Sprint. Yeah, he was in a Sprint commercial, being like, "Hey, can you hear me? I'm with Sprint." Right. Um, so there is that. Like, there's that real sense of being liability. Also kind of brands themselves leaning into trying to be salty, cocky voices themselves. If you look at like Wendy's on Twitter or Arby's on Twitter or all of these brands, it's kind of this chick thing mm. to try to seem edgy and and post sort of borderline content. They're all dissing each other on Twitter and yeah. shit. No matter how funny it is when I see Taco Bell taking shots at KFC, <laughs> I'm like, just try to tune my brain, brain out because I'm like, I know what they're doing to me. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, ha ha, the Burger King tweet. Fuck that, man. Yeah, they're trying hard. So, so I mean, I think they're trying to be their own celebrity influencers and build, mm. you know, sort of their own social media and build their own brand voice sort of as if it, as though it were a person. Mm. So um, you smoke weed now? Um, okay. No. Okay. So here's the thing. I went, I'm 37. I went 36 years 
without ever consuming THC until it was legal recreationally. And then I'm like, hey, you know, hey, I mean, I got issues. Everybody got issues. Maybe I'm going to try this. So, you know, I did. Maybe you were that concerned with the legality? Whatever. Whatever. Well, <laughs> that was. That was just sort of an entry point. <laughs> that was my entry point. Yeah, I, I was that straight edge. I was that boring in my life that I had to wait until the state was like, yes, recreational is legal. Right. Wow, that's cool. Uh, Good and, for you. Uh, um, yeah. I love a law, a law-abiding citizen. Well, I mean, well, I mean, the, uh, the, as a tangent, I mean, the the war on drugs, and of course, you know, weed in particular has devastated a lot of lives, and there's a terrible history behind Very it. Very true. Um, which you know, it'll be interesting to see where you know candidates talk about legalizing weed, but like there isn't really a conversation about reparations and how the sense of, like if you were alive in the 1990s, this destroyed your life, mm. like to be found with weed, to be incarcerated, and whatnot. And so, and, and so as I'm consuming it now, uh, at the age of 37, I'm kind of like, wow, that was so wrong. Like all of the propaganda that I was indoctrinated with at a child, you know, whether it was Dare or, mm -hmm. um, you know, these, you know, uh, the portrayal of being high on THC is just kind of being this terrible experience uh, that would be it would be a gateway drug. Mm. Um, that has not been true for me. And it's just kind of like, hey, now it's just I, I just have fun getting high now. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's not an addiction. It's not whatever. It's just. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even. I, well, I. I wouldn't even say it's therapeutic for me. Right. Um. Because you know, I mean, it's relaxing. I, yeah, it's just relaxing. It's relaxing and it's fun. I'm, I'm at the point too. I yeah. know that I'm real comfortable doing interviews now because I never used to uh, smoke before interviews, and then today I had to come in and do three interviews, and that's exactly <laughs> what I did. Is I faced a fucking spliff in the car on the way here, <laughs> coming from Starbucks, and yeah. I just feel totally like chill normal just i feel like if anything i'm less nervous i'm maybe more yeah. able to sort of really engage with the conversation and let my brain go down random paths in the conversation i don't know there you go yeah although i will say i've never actually because I, I only vape and i do edibles so i haven't mm. actually ever like lit up a blunt man and inhaled the smoke like I, i've literally never done that in my entire life and you want to do that it. you want to do that today you know when we're done sure Ooh, i'm down we're, we're, we're gonna, gonna get we're the gonna get this. later yeah we're, we would do it in here, but we were not allowed to smoke in here. Man, yeah. I tripped out because Nori was smoking in here the other day. We, oh had, we had to lie and say that <laughs> it was somebody in his crew did it, and we couldn't stop him. And, oh, my gosh. Um, man, that was actually something I really look forward to. Um, man, those edibles, though, those things will fuck oh you up. Oh, my God. Holy Because, like, I don't really get a debilitating high from just, you know, vaping. Right. Um, but, man, you get three or four edibles, like 30, 40 grams. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> I can't move. Yeah. This is like, this is, if there's a two eye, this is two eye. I haven't done a lot of the legal ones, but, like, back in the day, <laughs> you would buy, like, a candy bar for, like, 20 bucks at the dispensary, and it would have, like, a 1,000 milligrams. And oh, that wow. shit would have Holy. you on your ass. Wow. Like, like not just, like, <laughs> oh, I'm high, but, no, it's like, I feel like I'm on a psychedelic like i feel like i can't move i feel like i'm never going to be able to get out of this chair yeah. did i say 30 40 i meant milligrams like 30, 40 grams of like kill you people can correct me if i'm wrong but I, i'm pretty sure that like back in the day it was like way easier to just get way higher dosage uh edibles because it was just sort of the wild wild west and the shit wasn't regulated as much yeah now it's especially in california it's, yeah. it's pretty you know regulated if you want to get completely fucked off eating a, a huge amount of edibles fine but you should probably have to like eat a reasonable amount yeah it, it's hard to predict too because like i i don't know when it hits me like I'll, i think i'll be fine and then like three hours later i'm like i i am <laughs> not fine <laughs> i need to go lay down <laughs> yeah it's so crazy to think about the fact that 
you are such like a thoughtful, smart, fucking well-mannered guy. And even that song is actually very interesting social criticism, but that it went viral in such a way that really none of that seemed to matter at all. Yeah, I would say about 20% of people um, when it went viral kind of sensed that it was a deeper message or had a deeper meaning. To I it. think that it's more now because when you Google it, it's very easy to land on articles that sort of inform you that that's what about Because yeah. I was going to just straight up ask you, was that racial in any way? Then I go online and read and I'm like, oh, he's already spoken oh, yeah, about this a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Did, did a BET interview. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, it's, it's, I always say that I sing about what I can't say about like th that's a little bit of my frustration as a musician is i make better music when i am in a state of mind that is totally antisocial mm. and just so awkward uh that i can barely put a sentence together in an interaction like this um that it's almost kind of like being in la because in la you're always on a little bit like there's always a sense that especially now in this year where everyone has a you know social media and, and a camera in their pocket that like you can never really just like be off the grid mm. and be in a city or be around people and so uh, you know when i'm making music the best music comes from a place where it's like it's almost like i'm i'm flustered and i'm i'm stuttering and i can't even speak and i can't even really like i can't put the words out but i can sing it and i can express it in music and it can have meaning and purpose there and uh finding ways to get to that place it's mm. tough it, it's tough now in the in the hustle bustle of la and social media being what it is now where it's like you're supposed to make 10 15 pieces of content every day just to uh stay current on platforms it's insane that they convinced us all to update our instagram stories this much oh my god i mean we're like we're like hamster wheels we are we're like hamsters on you know just like running running on the, on that wheel and because we all know that if you update your instagram story once twice three times a day that you're only going to get so many views if you update up, update it 10 plus times a day you're going to get many more views yeah and i mean that's enough to keep almost everybody on the fucking hamster wheel like even if you were like like Everybody sort of knows that even if you were to get to the point where you were super busy and rich, that you would just be hiring someone to do that for yeah, you. That's what, that's what George, <laughs> George, uh, George Takei does. Um, yeah. I mean, bless his heart. I, I love George Takei. He's a big fan. But yeah, yeah. I always see his Facebook posts. I'm like, did you really? You're like yeah. 80 years old. Did you really sit and type all this out? And like, I mean, when you, when you get when you're him and you've got that big audience, it's like, well, why wouldn't you? It's like this this yeah. many people relying on what you're going to throw out there on social media. <laughs> shit. And it's like something like him. It's like, yeah, it's supporting you financially, but it's also you're really making a difference. Yeah. Damn. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Man. This ended up being a far more interesting conversation than I necessarily thought it would. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a good time. You, man. That was a very interesting conversation indeed. Uh, anything in particular that you're pushing? Anything that you want the world to know? Hey, you know, I it's funny. I've been putting music on Twitter. Just put my... It's an older song, but I put it up. Mama Economy mm -hmm. uh, talks about the economy, explains to you. Curious about how the economy works. Uh, Google, or search for Mama Economy on Spotify. It's Twitter, it's videos on YouTube, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm still making music. Still, uh, my cameos are there. You can go to cameo.com forward slash Tazon Day, and uh, I'll say happy birthday to you. I'll uh, there you go. give you congratulations. That's crazy that there's actually a bunch of people out there thinking right now. You know what? That is oh. that is the thoughtful. Oh, thing and if you I want to need. hire me for voice work or to act, all those reels are at TazonDay.com. I still have like the old school website. Be like, hey, this is the old school entertainment stuff I do. So there it is. Tazon Day, no jumper.
coolest podcast in the world check us on youtube soundcloud itunes like comment and subscribe nojumper.com if you want to support and the kush is in stores ask your local dispensary stock no jumper cannabis we're gonna hook you up too oh there you go there you go you can just eat some of the nugs i guess awesome (laughs) (laughs) appreciate you man (laughs) 